You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. In 2010, Joe Stone nearly died after crashing into a mountain at almost 50 miles an hour while speed flying, a form of paragliding. The accident left him with a spinal cord injury, leaving him paralyzed from the chest down and with impairment in both hands. Joe's work has been focused on bridging the gap between people with and without disabilities through outdoor recreation, and he has traveled the country speaking and serving as an advocate for people with disabilities. He currently serves as an interim director at Teton Adaptive, a Move United member organization based in Wyoming. So, Joe, I want to talk about uh, mountain biking, but before we talk specifically about that activity, uh, I'd just love to learn a little bit more about you. Uh, how did you get involved in, in sport and talk a little bit about uh, you know the, the, the disability? And we'll just start there. Yeah, uh, I mean, a quick background is, I, you know, I've grown up and spent my entire life in the outdoors. And... Grew up in Minnesota, spent a lot of time camping, hunting, fishing in my younger years, you know, going up and, and spending time with my dad in the outdoors and, and doing that side of things. But we grew up just south of Minneapolis in the concrete jungle. So as I got a little bit older and it wasn't as cool to hang out with dad anymore, um, my friends and I started really exploring the concrete jungle, which led into sports like rollerblading, where we would go down handrails and, you know, go to skate parks and that sort of so, that side of the the skate world. And that was really kind of my first love in the outdoor world and sports in general. And so I chased that for quite some time. And that led to eventually me kind of finding the blend between the two of wanting to get more adventurous in the outdoors. So taking some of this exploring and kind of the um, risk management and risk taking side of things with rollerblading, combining it with what my dad what had taught me in, in, you know, being in the outdoors and in the woods and hunting and fishing and kind of combining those with doing things more like paragliding and skydiving and, and um, speed flying. And as I got into those activities, I realized I needed to live in the mountains. So that led me to uh, 2009, moving to Montana and really trying to spend a lot of my time in the mountains. So mountain biking, speed flying and skydiving were the two or three main things that I was doing out there. Um, I got pretty hyped up on all of it and maybe a little too hyped up on the speed flying end and ended up crashing into a mountain in 2010 and sustained a spinal cord injury from that. So amongst a lot of other injuries, I was diagnosed with uh, a C7, incomplete C7 spinal cord injury mm -hmm. in 2010. And that left a big question mark for me. And that question mark was, can I achieve a smile again? Can I get outside and play again? Can I have goals? Can I set goals in the outdoors and physical goals like what I had been setting in my life before my injury? And so from there, um, it was just setting one goal after another to regain my personal independence. And that led to being able to start setting some goals in the outdoors and accomplished some of those and started realizing, Hey, you know what, living a pretty high quality of life in the outdoors as a person with a spinal cord injury is, is doable. And so as I learned more and more on my end, I started recognizing that there was 
um, more of a need to get involved in the industry and try to share what I'm learning with others. And so that started just one-to-one kind of peer mentoring, um, eventually forming the Joe Stone Foundation, which has since been dissolved um, once I took a position many years later with Teton Adaptive Sports and, and our mission just aligned a little too closely. So I had to, I had to get rid of one or the other. So I, I got rid of the Joe Stone Foundation and just went all in with Teton Adaptive Sports and now living here in Jackson, Wyoming and loving every bit of it. And, you know, Teton Adaptive is a, is a wonderful organization. And of course, a member organization of Move United too. So, um, and, and, and what, are, what are some of the things that you get to do at uh, Teton Adaptive? Um, well, you know, the fun part of the job and the area that we live in is getting outside and showing people what this beautiful area has to offer. So mountain biking is a big one. So adaptive mountain biking, there's a lot, there's quite a few areas around here to do it, but we do a lot of that at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Adaptive paragliding is one that I get to take advantage of from time to time. So I still paraglide myself just on wheels now and, and mm-hmm. being able to get other people out there and do tandem flights off of the, out, off of Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. That part of it's really fun and every day allows me an opportunity to get up in the air as well. Um, yeah, but then from there, there's there's so many other activities. The way Teton Adaptive works is we partner with the already existing organizations around town and we work with them to get them trained, get them the equipment they need so that they can now serve people with disabilities as well. So uh, an entire group of friends or family can show up with one person with a disability in the mix and everybody can go float down the river and everybody can go paragliding or go mountain biking, that sort of thing. So it really opens up a, 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 a pretty wide range of things that we're able to do in this area from getting on the rivers, getting on the lakes, to paragliding, mountain biking, via for rock climbing, some of that, it, and there's more than that, but some of it is you need to be a little bit more ambulatory. You need to be able to stand up and walk a little bit um, and we're getting closer and closer to being able to make like via Ferrada rock climbing, for example, available mm-hmm. to people who are full-time wheelchair users as well. Um, but we're not quite there yet. And in other activities like paragliding, you could be paralyzed from the neck down and on a ventilator hundred percent of the day and still go and enjoy that activity. You know, and the rivers are, are really as adventurous as you want to make it. And pretty much anybody can get on the river and go float. So it's, it's a really fun, well-rounded organization in the way that we're attached to the community. And then from that, we, we take those, those organizations and we partner with them on activities for more on the local scene. So Jackson's, you know, a place where a lot of tourism happens. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the partners we have, they have, the bulk of their business is through tourism. And it welcomes in all these families and groups of friends that are showing up that happen to have somebody with a disability in a mix to be able to go and enjoy those activities. But what we have realized over the years is that is amazing, but we got to make sure that we give opportunities to the locals as well. And so we're able to kind of double up with those partners where they're able to handle all of that side of things whenever people show up into town and want to go float a river. But we work with them for like our paddle days. So they show up with all the adaptive equipment that we've provided them over the years, some of their trained staff. We have some of our trained staff and volunteers, and that allows a a really awesome day for example, going paddling on a lake for all of the locals to be able to get out and have some um, high fives and social time and, and get on the water and learn how to paddle and learn what the adaptive equipment's all about. And it creates that opportunity to, 
So, and then also so locals know that that's there for when they just want to go do it with their friends. So it, that's a long winded way for me to answer your question, but the Jackson is a, is a, is a, um, I mean, it doesn't get much better, you know, between summer and winter, there's as many opportunities for the outdoors as you could ask for. So it's what I think is probably the most exciting part is when people are traveling to the area and they get on the phone and I'm help, trying to help them out with organizing their trip a little bit. And they're like, well, what kind of things can we do? You know, my, my father uses a wheelchair and, um, and then I throw out the list of things that they can do. And they're like, we only have six days in Jackson. Like this, we're gonna, we're actually gonna have to like pick and choose. Like there's a longer list than what we actually have time for. And I think that's rare for people to be able to find that, especially living with a disability to be able to travel to an area and have everybody have, you know, more opportunities than what they can fit into their schedule. And that's pretty neat. And so when you start seeing those opportunities open up for people, even if it's just for a vacation, it's it's a pretty special uh, experience to be a part of. Yeah, when you have a, a plethora of activities to choose from, and you literally have a menu that you can pick and choose from, it's an, it's amazing. And, and, and Jackson and the Teton area is a beautiful part of the country. I mean, I've been I've only been there once, but it's a beautiful area to explore and, and see and doing. And and how supportive is the national park in terms of of uh, what you do? That's a great question. The national park is amazing. So we're right next to, I mean, our Teton Denver office is like a mile from one of the entrances to Grand Teton National Park. And over the last couple of years, we've been having a lot more conversations with different departments within the national park. So it's been really neat. So for example, this spring, so we, you know, spring hits and we're right before we're about to really kick into summer and everybody gets busy, we, do, we go through and we tr do trainings with all of our partners around town. And with the national park this year, it was really cool because, because over the last probably two years, we've had so many conversations within these different departments that actually all these departments now came to Teton Adaptive and said, hey, can you come do a training for our trail crew? Can you do a training for our string leg volunteers or mm -hmm. our interpreters that do some guided hikes and that sort of thing? And they're, they're a little bit more dialed to be able to support different disabilities for guided hikes. And so I did five or six different trainings within the national park. So they're, they're working to make their volunteers better um, just to be more knowledgeable and, and be able to communicate better with people with disabilities and direct people with disabilities to really awesome spots that work really well. Uh, the interpreters are on a whole nother level now where they are uh, really able to support people with disabilities on a, on a whole nother level, especially now that they know that if needed, they can get some of, our equipment for um, mobility devices or mobility disabilities that that might be showing up. And uh, so that opens that door. The trail crew is doing awesome work to make trails more inclusive for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so widening up some spots where it needs to be um, taking care of some rocks or some trees that are down or whatever that might be in the way for somebody with a mobility disability to be able to get through that area. So. So long story short, the, that has um, really come a long way at the National Park, and they are amazingly supportive. So I think the National Park, and especially with all of their concessions, which some of which are our partners, mm -hmm. are doing a better job than – I've been to a lot of National Parks. I'm a huge fan of National Parks, but they're doing a better job than, than most National Parks I've ever been to. 
Yeah, and and you, let's dive into into mountain biking because I know that you said it's one of the uh, sports and activities that you you you've loved uh, previously as well as now, uh, you know, pre pre injuries. So, what is it about mountain biking that you particularly enjoy? Oh, mountain biking's got a lot to offer, and it's a lot more than what people really, I think, see just from the outside looking in. So, you've got adventure, and you've got exploring into the woods. You're getting into um, environments that our everyday wheelchairs or mobility devices aren't necessarily going to allow us to get into. Uh, when you get on a really unique trail that maybe you're going a little faster or it's more technical, then you find yourself very present in the moment because you're having to really focus on what you're doing with those wheels to make sure that you don't tip over or, you know, end up off the trail or whatever it might be. Um, it's got a little bit of risk to it. So there's the risk management end of things, which I think is really fun to, to really, really dial in. I think that's, that's something that I try to teach a lot when I'm, when I'm working with people who are new to these kind of activities is the idea of risk management. So it's not just about sending it. It's not just about going off jumps all the time. Sometimes it's, it's really figuring out what it is you're doing what the risk versus reward is where your skill level is and really dialing all of that. And so it's a, it's a pretty complex sport that allows for people to be individuals in that. And I think that that's, that's, what's really cool. So you can, everybody has their own style. Everybody finds their own style of riding. Everybody rides a trail a little bit different. It just depends on how they see it. So I, I just think mountain biking offers so much plus community. You know, the mountain bike community is one of those that's very welcoming and, um, and pretty open-minded for the most part. So <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of advocacy to, that needs to be done to make trails better. Um, I'll tell you from the last 12 years of me being a wheelchair user and advocating for better trail access, um, we have come a long way. And now the movement is really picking up momentum. And that's, that's really cool to have seen because when I was injured, it was like, here's your one, one mile loop trail off on the side that has nothing interesting in it, but it works for the trikes. And now we're talking about universal design within the trail systems themselves. Mm -hmm. So how can we build trails or maintain old trails that can, that can work for everyone, you know, wherever possible. So trails are getting more interesting and more technical and yeah, a little, you know, some of them were to the point where it's, it's, you know, definitely not where you want to go. If, if you've never mountain biked before, you know, you actually have to have some skills that you've built up over some time to be able to go ride certain trails. So mountain biking just offers a lot and it offers a lot of growth as an individual. It offers an amazing community to get involved with. And it, it takes, I think, if you're into it and you like putting tires on dirt and getting into the woods, it raises the quality of your life pretty much all around, at least it has in mind. And, and you talked about it, you know, the growth, even in the last 12 years uh, in terms of accessibility and opportunity. Do you find that on like a, on the local, state and national level? Do you find that, you know, across the board that there are more and more trails that, for example, are, are more accessible? Yeah, I think I think nationally it's a good movement. I think certain areas in the country are doing a much better job than others. Um, we've got a pretty good movement of better trail systems happening around here in Jackson, um, and same thing over in Idaho, just on the other side of the mountains from us. So I think there's a lot of growth locally in this area in Wyoming that and in Idaho that are are doing really well. You look at Sun Valley; they're doing really well. 
Uh, there's a number of other areas, especially when you start talking downhill trails at resorts, they're starting to really pick up because the whole idea of the way they're even designing trails now, um, it kind of just merged perfectly with what people with disabilities need because they're using bigger machines to cut the trails and the trails are naturally becoming wider because uh, that's what people want. They want these wider flow trails or technical trails that have a little bit more room so people can choose their line down the trail. And that that really starts opening the door in the conversation for universal design within trail systems. It's, now we're wide enough. The machines you're using are wide enough. The tools you're using are making it pretty accessible to people with disabilities. So how can we just you know, make a few changes here and there on our way down the trail that make it to work for everyone. And then you add in where the technology's at for people with disabilities to be able to be on adaptive mountain bikes. So my first mountain bike had zero suspension and mm -hmm. uh, was 36 inches wide. And, you know, it was, it was front wheel drive and there was only one other type out there at the time. And so there was a little bit of different configuration, but essentially the, you know, the same, um, the same kind of limitations were there with the other piece of equipment. So, you know, those are like the OG bikes that hopefully will be in a museum someday. And, but like <laughs> it, it, now you look at everything and we've got full suspension bikes. We've got front and rear driven drivetrains um, with a, a number of different configurations between the way they have the gearing and the, the chains and everything figured out the, the, the amount of opportunities for a multiple, like a pretty wide range of disabilities to be able to get on the different gear. So now we have a lot of options for people from, you know, people who have a lot function to people who have a lot less function, you know, there's still mountain bikes that work and there's still gears that can be shifted. Even if you have no hand function and brakes that can be used with no hand function and people are really starting to dial that side of things in. And then, then you add in, you know, with like, like me personally, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what Bowhead is doing and the way that they're creating their bikes to have the articulation and be able to move around. And so now we're getting freedom of movement within these, these different bikes that are out there. Um, that hasn't existed before. So who knows what that's going to look like in five years, you know, now right. that movement's growing. So, you know, I went on a mountain bike ride um, yesterday, trail that has, I could say almost certainly has never had an adaptive mountain bike on over in Idaho. Um, and my girlfriend and I just went, we were like, let's just see if it works. And we went out there and there's a couple really tight spots where I needed some support from her. Um, and then it was a, it was a black, a, a legitimate black trail on the descent. Um, lots of rocks and roots to have to crawl over and steep and, um, fast if you want it to be. And it was, uh, you know, tires sliding out on the way down, trying to control it through certain sections. And we got to the bottom and I was just like, 12 years ago, there's no way, one, the technology wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Right. But two, you couldn't, we couldn't have just gone and explored a trail like that. There's so much research that would have needed to be done before we even got on it. So we didn't get in over our head. Um, I was consistently in Montana shut down, you know, a, you know, a few hundred yards in on a trail with the old gear. And now we can explore more. So when you start tacking in trail crews that are really wrapping their heads around universal design and making trails better for everyone. And you've got a community of mountain bikers that are really stoked to see more and more people just be able to have access to getting out there on the trails and enjoying what they all love so much, being able to share that with others. And then you add in where our technology is at today, plus the organizations that are wrapped around all of that to be able to support people with disabilities. 
this is the best time ever for being able to get on adaptive mountain bikes and get out and explore what you're capable of doing in the woods. It's, it's a really neat time. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. And the two things I want to unpack just a little bit more, I know you, we talked, you just, you just mentioned some of them is uh, first, how, how, what, what are the primary things that has to happen in order to make a trail accessible? Yeah, the main ones are just the width of the trail, mm-hmm. uh, the cross slope of the trail. And, uh, and, what, and what do you mean by cross slope? Cross slope just from side to side, like how much of an angle yeah. um, so that you're at. Are, if I'm moving this way, you know, if I'm moving forward and my right wheel is is dropped lower than my left wheel, you know, that cross slope that's yeah. making that happen, it that makes a big difference. And so for the equipment out there that doesn't have the ability to articulate and things like that, it can handle a lot less of a cross slope. And so, you know, being able to have, and, and then you added disability, right? So if we're looking at, let's say spinal cord injuries, for example, somebody who is a much lower level spinal cord injury with a lot more muscle function can handle more cross slope than mm-hmm. somebody who is like a, a C6 quadriplegic. They're going to have a lot harder time throwing all of their weight over to be able to handle that okay. same level of cross slope. So, you know, what five and six degree cross slope could be a lot for, for one person and a lot less for um, someone else. It just depends on the disability and the equipment that the person is on. And so with that, um, it's it's really interesting. So there's a huge conversation that's been going on. It's been the endless debate since I used a disability and I'm sure it went on before before my disability and and, uh, it'll go on for many more years. But the debate has always been, how do we rate trails so that people with disabilities know what they're getting into? And so I think at first it made sense that, well, maybe it's piggybacking on, you know, we have blue, black, um, or a green, blue, black, double black trails, right? So maybe we just make that a little bit more complex so that there's more ratings so that people with disabilities can, can go off of that. Well, that doesn't really work because I've been on plenty of green trails that have been some of the most adventurous trails because I hit sections that just don't work for the adaptive equipment that I'm on. Right. And all of a sudden we're miles in the woods and here we are in a moment. Right. And then I've been on black trails that work amazing for the equipment that I'm on because they're a little bit wider. And yes, it might be more technical. It's not your beginner trail, but the trail itself, if you have the skills, um, flows and works really well for the equipment that we have. So now what uh, myself and Quinn Brett have been chatting a lot about and a number of others is let's move away from this idea of rating trails because that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Why are we not just providing the information? Mm-hmm. So at the trailhead, on the trailhead sign, um, it has the length of the trail, the max cross slope, the minimum width, um, the max grade You know, for going up and down. So people can look at that kind of information and say, okay, based on the piece of equipment that I'm on and my experience, this trail is going to work or not work. And you're not going to always know that information until you get out and ride more. But at least then once you start riding more, then you're going to know, well, you know, a a trail that has a section that's only 32 inches wide, you know, that's not going to work for me. Or it's got a section that is, uh, has a cross slope of 12 degrees. That's too much for me. Or I can handle all that. Now this trail's a go. So we're looking at more, why not just provide the information and let the individual make the decision versus having one individual create a rating for a trail that 
that rating is kind of one that only, you know, if, if I go out and rate a trail, that's what I rated it based off of my experience. Right. That's not going to be necessarily something that can be applied to the next person that shows up to the trail. So we're looking more into providing information than, than ratings. I, I think that's a, a great, great idea and a great step forward, Joe. I think um, particularly like, because the other, other approach uh, kind of puts it in a one size fits all disability right, approach, right? Which we know we're, we're not, you know, every, everybody with a disability has, you know, it's, it's unique and different, you know, to them. So to try to try to assume that, uh, you know, this will work for, for someone with a spinal cord injury versus an amputation versus, you know, uh, yeah, that'd, that'd be very, very uh, difficult uh, to, to try to do that. And, and the other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit more is, is around equipment. So, and particularly around adaptation. So how, you know, maybe uh, take us through um, how different equipment has been adapted to different disabilities. Yeah, um, you know, I think the majority of companies out there have made their first piece of equipment and then they realize, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of people that can't use it. And so then they come out with different models mm-hmm. that are out there. Um, you know, uh, like Jacob Reactive Adaptations, for example, he's made, he's got the Nuke, the Bomber and the Stinger. And those, you know, he started with the Bomber, which is lean forward on a chest plate. And you kind of need to have quite a bit of trunk control to manage that piece of equipment. So for higher level spinal cord injuries um, or people that have uh, different disabilities in in general, um, you know, cerebral palsy or something like that, they may or may not be able to, to make that piece of equipment work. Then, so then he created the new. So that's now you're sitting upright. So instead of cranking down below and being leaned forward in a prone position, now you're sitting up in more of a recumbent style position with your legs out in front of you and you're cranking out, out in front. Now you have a bigger backrest, you have more trunk support, and that has um, opened up the door for a lot of people to be able to get on that. Well, well, then the question was, okay, well, now we have this piece of equipment that works in terms of um, body support for somebody with uh, a, a more significant disability um, or less muscle function, but how do we get it to where somebody like, in, in my situation, who doesn't have grip in my left hand, how can I hold on to the cranks and manage the brakes for when I'm going downhill and shift gears and things like that. So um, then Jake partnered up with quad grips and quad grips had a lot of solutions there that were allowing um, more people with um, either weakened or no hand function, be able to shift gears and hold on to the cranks and be able to actually do everything pretty efficiently and safely being the main thing. So if you can't really manage the brake safely, you know, being on a mountain bike trail can be pretty dangerous or anything for that matter, you know, like you kind of need to be able to hit the brakes when you need them. Mm-hmm. So, or shift gears so you can keep cranking the bike, you know, or get to a steeper hill, you need to make it easier. So, um, so that, that I think what Jake, if you were to follow his history for the last, um, I don't know how long he's been around, but 10 or 15 years of doing the work he's been doing, you can see that evolution. And now he's got bikes that have different, um, uh, full suspension versus not full suspension. So it's kind of like your gravel bike versus your mountain bike and, and that sort of thing. So he's done a good job at being able to recognize how do we make things like, okay, this one piece of gear works for this group of people. I need another piece of gear that can add to a whole nother group of people that can't use 
the original piece of gear, or they simply want to be a little more comfortable. They don't want to be in such an aggressive position. Maybe they just want to go do some gravel bike riding with their family and be able to see what's going on and not be looking down at the dirt the whole time. So, and then he's got foot pedal trikes and things like that as well. And now if you were to, if you were to fast forward into um, like what Bowhead's doing, you know, I think what Bowhead's doing is excellent because um, they've created this articulation system that allows the bikes to be able to handle more terrain. So the cross slope doesn't matter nearly as much anymore. So the bowheads can handle up to a 30 degree cross slope, which is quite a bit um, where, you know, the more fixed frame systems that are out there from all the other companies, they can only handle, you know, somewhere between like a five and 10% cross slope, depending on the individual that's on it. But it doesn't take much for that bike to want to start tipping and get to a tipping point where the bowheads wheels, they go up and down from each other. So you can, you can really get in some, to some, some terrain that I know for sure I could never take any other bike on me personally. So they made their first bike and they were that, you know, is all electric and it's kind of the downhill machine. And then they recognize that we need to make some adaptions to make it to where quadriplegics can get on this and use it. Um, and other people without hand function. And they came up with brake solutions that you can use your wrist for, um, strap your hands into the bars and, and be able to use your wrist to use brakes. Um, they came out with a bite throttle that somebody who has no hand function can can bite down on this throttle and that will allow the bike to move. So, you know, now we, we've, we've addressed the issue with being able to, or they have addressed the issue with not being able to actually use the throttle. Um, now they've got, and then, so then they took a step back after figuring out those solutions and they said, well, some people want to crank, not everybody wants to just do downhill. So um, how, do we, how do we create a version of it that cranks? So now they've got that. Um, it's amazing. And that's, and, and, um, but now the question mark is how do we get people without hand function to be able to use the crank version? Cause now you got to shift gears and you've got a different style of brakes and all of that. So they're working on that. So what's really neat is it seems like, you know, people put a lot of effort and they create an original design. And then once people start using it, they start recognizing where the limitations are for certain individuals and then their brains start moving and they start trying to figure that out. Because, like, for example, Bowhead just is, is it's not actually out yet, but they just started marketing a whole new design where it's one wheel in the front and two wheels in the rear. And that's going to be a great program bike and a great um, – the way they did this rear suspension and all of that, it's just on a whole other level from anything else that's come out. And so um, it'll be a bike that works really well for a lot more people and a lot more programs. And so – um, it, the technology is really interesting, at least for me to, to sit and follow because it all has to slowly evolve. And what it takes is somebody, um, showing up to the table saying, Hey, I want to use that, that bike, but it's not set up for me yet. And they start talking with the company and figuring out solutions and they bring it home and they start coming up with their own solutions. And eventually you have, you know, this pretty organically grown idea that turns into reality and and it makes it to where more people can get out on the trails and go. So um, I, you know, it'd be really cool. I think eventually to see a documentary made on adaptive mountain biking from start to finish, because where it's at now is so significantly different than where it was 20 years ago. Oh yeah, and it's come so far to where people are going on so many more trails um, that it's just a cool history. That I mean, I. Maybe I'm biased, but it's a film I'd watch for sure. (laughs) 
And you mentioned a, a keyword in, in that in your answer, and that's safety, which we've not talked about. So can you um, talk a little bit about just the some of the safety uh, kind of things that are set up and and, and inherit, per, you know, obviously if they come out to like Deton Adaptive, for example, you know, what are some of the things that you do to make sure that the people are safe? Yeah, um, safety is huge, right? And and I think it's really important. And it, it, if you were to follow it in the non-disabled side of things, where mountain biking started, especially like trails in the woods with downhill mountain biking and that sort of thing, it started kind of with a group of people that were hidden in the dark and they went into the woods and they built trails illegally and they hiked their bikes up to these top of these trails and they rode them and nobody really knew it was there. So it was really dedicated individuals, right? They were skilled and knew how to ride bikes. And then as that moved, got more popular and then more legal trails were being built and then resorts, especially started picking up on this, started building trails on the resorts. It became this, hey, you can just come rent a bike and put on football gear essentially and go ride these downhill trails and take a chairlift up to the top. And so more and more people are doing it, which is excellent, but the injury rate is, is up pretty high for people who are new to it, just getting on bikes and not really having an understanding on how to do it. So um, that's where I think lessons are really important. So for example, Teton Adaptive partners with Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. They have a few adaptive mountain bike instructors up on that mountain. And then their instructors have some of their own gear that they have access to. The Teton Adaptive is provided to them, but they also have access to our equipment that we have in our trailers that we aren't quite at a point to be able to give over to them fully. Um, so we have this kind of shared access to the equipment so that it, we cover kind of as many of the different types of equipment as possible so people can come out and try it all. Um, so a great example is we had a gentleman now this weekend and he just wanted to rent a bike but he had never used an adaptive mountain bike before. And I think he was a little bit disappointed that he had to hire an instructor to go with him to teach him how to use it. And I just, I just explained, you know, I'm going to be completely honest, like as much as I would love to just see these bikes be completely available to anybody to rent and just be able to show up and grab it and go just like everyone else. Um, it is easier to get yourself in trouble on these on three wheel bikes and, or trikes and um, not knowing which trails to go down with an adaptive mountain bike is significantly different than if you can walk around with a two, with a two wheel bike because you can always get off a two wheel bike and walk right. around something. Right? If something if you're if you find yourself in over your head, you can walk yourself down the mountain. You can't do that on three wheels. And then you start talking about areas where it's easier to tip over or you have some consequence with the cross slope and the side of the mountain going down where if you did go over that side, you would do quite the tumble and you're strapped into a 70 to hundred pound bike um, tumbling down a mountain. So, you know, and I could go on and on and, and be Dr. Doom here and make it sound like it's totally just the most. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. But that's why the safety's built in. Right. right. So I, once I explained to him, like, you know, the, these bikes are, they're technical, they're challenging to use at first until you get the muscle memory just right on how to read terrain and where to put your body based on that terrain and how to go from the cranks to the handlebars or how to use the throttle on the bowhead properly so you don't get yourself in trouble, whatever that might be. Having somebody there to not only be your instructor, but be that support for the areas that are a little bit more challenging so you don't tip over and hit your head on a rock or something like that is really, really important. So um, this gentleman actually ended up 
going out with an instructor and writing and his aha moment from it was, this was way more challenging than I thought it was going to be. And I'm really happy that I had my instructors out this weekend that were helping me out because mm -hmm. he was able to then learn a lot, right? So you can speed up your progression in both how to read a trail, your risk management and your skills. When you have somebody that can really fill you in and you're not having to reinvent the wheel on the trail when someone else can, can just share that knowledge with you. So, and it, you know, it's a lot different than if you were to buy your own bike and start on the gravel road and then get on, you know, some easy trails and some trails, maybe that are just like some gravel roads along the river or whatever. And you can ease into it that way. Then that, you know, you can definitely teach yourself. I taught myself, you know, that's how I learned how to adapt to mountain bike. And it came from uh, being a mountain biker before my injury. So I understood terrain and stuff like that. Um, so it's not that it's impossible to teach yourself, but to just grab a bike as a never ever and go up to Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and start doing downhill mountain biking, it, it, that, that is a recipe for an injury. And so um, we've got a lot of things in place that allow people to, to start easy and slowly build their progression and what, you know, how technical trails are riding and take it as far as they possibly can within the amount of time that they have in the area to be able to, to, to grow in those experiences. And I do think, um, in my perspective, it's changed a lot over the last few years. I do, I do think it's very important to have very skilled instructors that not only are good at teaching, but they also can ride the equipment and they understand the equipment inside and out as a rider, and then sharing that information as a good teacher to new people going out. Um, it's just more than it's more than just riding a bike. You have to understand a lot of different things. You have to be able to you have to learn how to tell your friends how to support you in certain areas. Mm -hmm. You know, so like that's one thing. Like as a person with a disability, figuring out how to teach your support role or your supporters how to support you in certain areas. If you tip over, how do you get the bike up again? You know, all of those are things that have been figured out. So it's, it's great to just go somewhere where that knowledge exists and learn from it. That's awesome. Joe, uh, last question I have for you is, is uh, what would you, if someone is hesitant um, or like a new person that hasn't, hasn't given uh, adaptive mountain biking a try, what would you, what would you share with them? For somebody that's never done it? Yes. Um, get out and try it. Yeah, get out, find an organization that has some equipment, that knows some trails that work really well. They can help you with all of the things that can seem very frustrating in the beginning. So, um, you know, what equipment to try, how to get set up properly on that equipment, what trails are, 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 are best to go on with an adaptive mountain bike, that sort of thing. Go somewhere where somebody has that knowledge already so it can be just fun and smiles for you as an individual just to get in and try it and see if it's even something you're into but get out try it give it more than one try because sometimes it can be frustrating in the beginning because you know just like people with, for people without disabilities road biking is a lot easier than mountain biking so now you add in three wheels and you add in a disability and you add in all the complexity of the equipment um, and it gets significantly harder for somebody with a disability to be out there on mountain bike trails. Um, and, and I don't want that to sound like in any way to, to deter people from wanting to try it. It's just worth giving it more than an hour is what I'm saying, or more than one day and go out with some experienced people and give it a go. 
and you just don't know what you're missing until you get out there and try it. And there's something really, really special with figuring out what you want within it. Because for some people, it's that gravel road along the river or lake. And others, it's the downhill trails that are, you know, a little bit more intense. And then there's a lot of things in between. But no matter what, it's a great way to get out with your friends and family and enjoy nature. Get away from the cars, get away from the pavement, get a little dirt on your face and and just really have a ball in the woods. And so, yeah, find a, a close organization to you that is experienced in adaptive mountain biking and and just go make a weekend of it and try it. It goes back to the smiles, huh? It's all about the smiles. It's all about it. And, you know, and, and, and I think, one, it's all about the smiles. And, two, I think what's really challenging for for the disability community sometimes is having a good resource on where to go and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, Teton Adaptive, yes, we do our stuff within Teton County and in the Jackson area. Um, but we're a resource. So reach out to us, give us a call. I spend quite a bit of time on the phone with individuals that are just trying to figure out how to do something in a totally different side of the country. And, um, but they're just looking for some fault, some people that have those resources that can get them started. So sometimes it's just getting conversations going that, so you can learn how to get out and do it. Social media is a great tool. Um, reach out to us at Teton Adaptive and we'll, we'll chat you through whatever we know and share you with our connections so that you can get out there and enjoy these activities as well. It's open to everyone. It's just going to take a little bit of work. And for some, it's a little bit more work than others, but either way it is, uh, it's open for everyone to get out and try. Mm-hmm.